Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 292, Kicking the Habit, Top 5 Kickstarters for September 2020. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Anthony, we are back and it's September, so with the fall leaves comes out the kickstarters yeah all at once it's crazy (laughs) yeah it's something about the full season the pumpkin spice that makes people want to put up just mammoth games up for us all to back and this past week everything came out at the same time so we're going to take a look at five plus one special edition of the biggest kickstarters that are happening right now we'll let you know what we think about them and going old school with kicking the habit we'll let you know if those games should be kicked off kicked to the side or just avoid at all costs so anthony again it's fall we're doing some big things at bga why don't you tell our listeners about bga live bga live if you guys haven't heard it yet it is our weekly show over on board game arena on twitch and we sit down we talk about games we talk about our question of the week we talk about all the interesting things happening in the hobby and then we get in there and we uh observe and participate in a game on board game arena so week one we got a chance to watch a really really good game of the voyages of marco polo last week we watched uh throwdown between uh three players in potion explosion and then we saw santorini several games of santorini in fact, because that game's real short. So you can check out episodes one and two. Those are up on uh, the Board Game Arena Twitch channel as replays. Uh, but Yokohama is going to be our episode this week. If you're listening to this the day it comes out, it is on tonight, Wednesday, September 23rd at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. 
if you are not, you can watch the replay over on Twitch and you can tune in next week as well for episode four when we're going to be talking about King Domino as well. So don't miss it. We're live every week uh, from 830 to 10 and it's a blast. We have a lot of fun with you guys. So for everybody who does come, thank you so much. And for those who haven't made it yet, definitely make sure you check that episode out. Yeah, and all the episodes are recorded, so you'll have an opportunity to jump back and listen to Anthony and I's commentary of all of those great games and also our pregame shows. So it's a lot of great content. And finally, Board Gamers Anonymous is no longer anonymous. We're out there on video for you. We promised this content all along, and here it is. We hope that you enjoy it. And again, if you'd like to let us know what you'd like to see on upcoming BGA Live or on the podcast or anything else for that matter, please check out our Patreon account at patreon.com slash BGA. Be our producer. Help Anthony and I produce content for the board game industry and, you know, get the best games to the table. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with BGA. We're looking forward to having everyone in the chat shortly later today for Yokohama. But our listeners have something to say on their own. What's the question of the day? All right. Question of the week this week. Uh, feature question of the day from uh, last month, actually. This one has kind of been percolating for a bit. Have you purchased or avoided purchasing a game solely because of the theme? And if you did, did you ever regret the decision? So we've all done this. You look at a game and you say, eh, I don't like zombies. I don't like Cthulhu. I don't like whatever, you know. I've done it specifically with those two things. And then, you know, you find out six months later, oh, that game's actually amazing. And now it's out of print. You can't find it. It's super expensive. I'm like, why do I hate zombies so much? So I asked everybody that question and got a lot of great answers. Uh, Scott mentioned three games that he's purchased specifically for the theme. Freedom, the Underground Railroad, Leaving Earth, and the Sagas of Noggin the Nog. Uh, he bought all three based purely on theme and setting, nothing to do with mechanics. No regrets. All three are great games, and all three handle their theme and settings brilliant. Adrian mentions Cthulhu. Just not interested. No regrets. I hear that. I hear that. Um, <laughs> uh, Shane mentions he picks up every Terranoth game by Fantasy Flight and has no regrets at all. Uh, but at the same time, he avoids all of the licensed stuff from Fantasy Flight. Star Wars, Marvel, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings. Um, also no regrets. So I know, I know a bunch of people who do that. Uh, Mark mentions he bought Maracaibo at Essen. And while the game is great, the relative brushing over of colonialism has left him with a sense of unease that he finds it difficult to get back to the table of that game. So he hasn't actually played it since he picked it up. Uh, I could, so a bit of a regret there picking that one up. I can understand that. Uh, David also mentions Lovecraft. So doesn't regret not playing or buying any of the many Cthulhu games out there. He likes theme in a game. So if it's not something he enjoys, he finds it really hard to switch that part off. So I can understand that too. Like if theme is huge to you and you do not like the theme, it's going to be really difficult to overcome that. <laughs> uh, Drew mentions Lisboa Kickstarter. He avoided, but he did back escape plan based on the theme alone. He regretted that <laughs> because now that he's played both a few times. He was happy. He was eventually able to acquire Lisboa. So I could see that. I mean, you look at Lisboa and you don't know anything about the designer or the game or whatever, and it's pretty to look at, but it's also, also a lot right and it's very historical like driven you look at escape plan it's got that cool like that retro style artwork you're like that looks cool and it's it's a good game but it's not the strongest of lacerda's games so sure obviously there's a lot of stuff out there um 
people mentioned Cthulhu. I have actually picked up a few Cthulhu games now. I've gotten over that. But for the longest time, I avoided that pretty much consistently. I don't know if there's anything I've avoided getting and regretted it because I do buy a lot of stuff. <laughs> I've certainly bought a lot of games, though, as well that I don't really want. Um, Massive Darkness was a big one. Like, I bought that game because of the theme. And like, ooh, fantasy uh, spin on Zombicide. And then played it and was not interested at all. I was like, ah, I don't care. Because if I'm not going to bring it out, it doesn't matter how pretty the miniatures are. <laughs> Ended up passing that one on. Yeah, theme is... I'm in the middle on theme. It's not a make or break for me, but it, it does have an influence. Yeah, I don't think there's a game that I've overall over the years completely passed on. I mean, certainly, as you mentioned, Anthony, the Cthulhu stuff has just never been my thing. So I, I guess if there was a game that I did pass on just purely for theme that I did regret, it would be, I guess it's Australia's with a Z in there. Mm. That uh, I got a chance to play that at a convention wasn't looking forward to playing it and it's actually a pretty decent euro game with some battle mechanics to it so i do wish i backed that and i think there's since been a sequel that's somewhat different i haven't played that yet but i would definitely be interested in playing that so i guess on theme alone that has been the one that's stuck around for me going way back playing agricola the idea that i would play this really basic looking farming game when I had high fantasy and epic star battles to hit the table was something I never thought I'd play, but I eventually did and loved it so much. I guess the only other thing could be is sometimes, and especially early on in board gaming, when I used to purchase board games, I used to purchase board games based on the idea that certain people, especially my family, would play these based on the theme. That the theme would be so wondrous and enticing that they would sit down and play them i have not found that to be true so <laughs> i i think over the years while theme still is key for me in a lot of things mostly thematic elements is key for me mechanics itself really has won the day so it does take a little pushing to get someone to play a pure abstract but if it's a good abstract and the mechanics are great they tend to love the game Whereas if it's a theme they love and the game is mediocre or soft in some ways, then yeah, that's not really going to fly. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a challenging situation, of course, to go into those things. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I. it's funny. Like you mentioned uh, Australia. That's one I still haven't played. I've been meaning to. And I had avoided it before, I think. Probably when I heard your review, I was like, oh, I should try that. Oh, it's Martin yeah. Wallace. I really should try that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Another one that I thought of while you were talking was um, Conan, right? Oh, okay. You know, it just looked like another giant box of miniatures. And yes. then when we finally got to sit down and play it, there's actually a pretty cool puzzle there. And it's like the best one versus many system mechanic, whatever that I've seen. Yes. And I've, after that, I bought, I backed Batman, which they just piled on all these extra mechanics and made it more complicated. And I've never yep. played that now. So. Yep. I still regret not having Conan. And at this point, I'm like, well, it's so expensive. I'm never going to pick that up. And I've spent all this money on Batman. So meh. But I did actually like that one a lot. Yeah, I think there is a case to be made that there are themes out there that have been beaten to death. So it's very hard for a good game to rise to the surface because now it looks generic, even though it really does a great job thematically playing out with the game. So Conan is definitely one of those, Anthony. You're right on as far as that's concerned. 
I guess, again, probably the most extreme examples for themes that I've definitely passed on would be your hate. Because, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Secret Hitler, which yep. both of those I do not care and <laughs> do not miss out on. So, nope. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, good luck I'm with good those. with uh, no fascists, no human ovens. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah i'm with you man there's certain things i'm just not interested in and everybody's got their line and i you know we all need to respect everybody's line so uh that's one of the nice things about this hobby is that there's so much variety that we don't have to all play the same games and we don't all have to have the same limits and boundaries Uh, as long as we respect them we should be good yeah so if you haven't already please check out a game with a different theme that you've never played before you're going to be pleasantly surprised. Just the idea of this is not the usual farming or space or a high fantasy is really going to intrigue you in a way that you did not expect. All right, Anthony. So that's everything from our listeners. Let's get on to the games that we want to hit the table. And especially this week, we're bringing back kicking the habit with our top five Kickstarters for September 20. 20. All right, we already talked about this at the start of the show, and in particular, this week at Kickstarter has been so massive, and we talked about one of these long, long ago because it was such a big revelation that this game was coming out, and because it's not on Kickstarter, in fact, it's on its own platform system that we... We're going to still include it nonetheless. Even if you're not a Kickstarter, if you're a crowd-backing source, we're down with that. Hasbro has a game, Anthony. You've been talking about it. We've been talking about it even on our Twitch stream last week. Why don't you let us know what game that happens to be? Well, it's Angry Birds crossed with My Little Pony. (laughs) That would be awesome, actually. I know. It would kind of be cool, right? (laughs) Sending the little ponies to their death. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like right before they um, sold out to Disney, they had all those Star Wars Angry Birds things. And so we bought Jack like a few of the games that you basically like flung Star Wars birds into the giant pile of blocks. They were a blast. They were a lot of fun. Uh, And then they got all serious because now they're with Disney and blah, blah, blah. You know, as long as you don't think too, too closely about exactly what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. It's cool, man. It's, It's just birds attacking pigs or, or whatever no 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 we're not talking about angry birds i mean we are but now we're not talking about angry birds anymore we're talking about hero quest and specifically Ta-da! the hero quest game system because nothing is just a game anymore everything's a whole thing hasbro bringing this back with the avalon hill label they actually uh-huh. we talked about this not too long ago that hasbro picked up the avalon hill label from wizards of the coast they of course own wizards of the coast so really they just took it from them um and they said nope we don't trust you with this anymore we're gonna do it and the first game kind of coming out of that is hero quest which is on their hasbro pulse crowdfunding system which they've used before for like really big expensive toys so like yes. you know like your 15 20 inch transformers or your massive big star wars boats or whatever you know like things that you would never sell in a store and they don't even want to make unless enough people want them they do it here and that's why hero quest is here because they're like let's make sure people want this and they do they do seem to want it i'm not surprised are you surprised i'm surprised that they were able to keep this a secret as long as they were i mean it was a countdown clock that everybody was watching 
nobody knew exactly what was eventually going to come out. And there was a lot of speculation of what we might actually see. And, you know, this was, as we talked about before, Anthony, this was one of the grail games of all time. I have never played it. I don't have any nostalgia to it, but even I knew about this game that like, if for some reason you ever went to a garage sale and you saw yeah. <laughs> a box of hero quest, you should buy that. You should buy it immediately. Don't even think about it. You should buy it. So yeah. Uh, yeah. It's again, it's not terribly surprising. I think what is really surprising about this game is the decisions that they made in bringing this game back to life, the reprint here. So first off, as you mentioned, the pulse system, the Hasbro, I guess, pre-order system, kind of a crowdsource Kickstarter situation. They're looking for a target of a million dollars and they have 45 days to go. And it's only been out, at least at the time of this recording, one day fully. And they're already at $674,000. So it's inevitable that this got backed. It's not surprised. Hasbro is one of the most mega companies out there especially when it comes to toys and board games and they understand nostalgia so bringing this back was a home run obviously from the very start the challenge with this happens to be is that a lot of people because this game has been such a big thing for so many years and an established piece of board gaming again even if you haven't played it you probably have played some version of this this is the granddaddy of the dungeon crawl. So a lot of the early mechanics that you see here have been used and have been refined in other board games that we love today. So if you played a dungeon crawl, you probably owe something to Hero Quest, especially the current Kickstarters, because I was not joking about the idea of what I knew about this game was the fact that it had this fantastic furniture to it that it's kind of laughable now because if you go on Kickstarter and you back almost any other dungeon crawl, it's either going to be part of the game or one of like the pledge levels or the, the stretch levels where you're going to get like additional doors and cabinets and chairs and tables and random altars and things like that. Hero Quest was really the granddaddy of these additional furniture pieces that took what was a very bland, flat, rectangle board with little squares on it and built it up to more of a real kind of situation. And the cardboard furniture did that. And what was really interesting about it was these were rather elaborate pieces that lasted the test of time. So when Hero Quest was said to be coming out, all the speculation about it was what form would it actually take? Would this be an identical reprint? Or would this be an upgraded version, right? Like, for example, we, we took about dune for to no end because again that was another reprint that we were looking for great speculation about that and again there was some upgraded elements to it mostly aesthetic but the rules were the same so with hero quest there were people who wanted the same people who wanted different and then obviously many many more in between that just wanted an upgrade and obviously the few out there who owned copies of this game and did not sell them quick enough so their <laughs> whatever $600 investment was just evaporated. So yeah, this is at least from what we can see so far, the rules are not up. 
But from what we can tell from the gameplay elements that are shown here, it seems to be very classic gameplay. So if you like roll and move, and then you like to attack monsters using dice, and if you like to have stats on your characters and opportunities to pick up upgraded weapons and certain cards as such, then this might be the game for you. Because again, it's not out there. It hasn't been out there. The prices for it is insanely expensive, but it's a slightly upgraded, but doesn't seem to be rule change version. How about you, Anthony? You've never played this before. Coming into this fresh, right? I have maybe a little more nostalgia because I've been around a little bit more in gaming. How about you? Like, is this something you would actually pick up? Nah. <laughs> and there you go. Good, good job, everybody. Yeah. No, I mean, it just, it just looks like. So I just talked about how like I regretted buying Massive Darkness, right? Yeah. That game is basically them being like, "Ooh, let's make a hero quest, but with zombicide rules." Yes. Like, that's all that is, and it wasn't very good. Like, yeah. I mean, to me, I didn't like it. So I don't think I would enjoy this. I think the kids might enjoy it, but I'm certainly not going to spend $100, $150 on a game for the children when I have dozens of games for the children. Um, the miniatures look fine. I mean, I don't know. There's nothing here that other games haven't done more or better. And I have zero nostalgia because I never played this as a kid. I didn't even know it existed until I got into hobby board games as an adult. For some reason, this just never passed me by as a child. Nobody I knew owned it. A lot of these other ones did. Like I had played Fireball Island once or twice. I had seen Dark the Dark Tower occasionally, but this is not one I had ever experienced. Probably because it was expensive and nobody I knew could afford it. But it's just I don't know. No interest. <laughs> I wanted to. I was like, I'm gonna check this out. No, I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that comes also like you know we talked about movies where you had Citizen Kane, which is the grandfather of so many cinematic techniques and storytelling. And then you go back and you're like, Oh, this is fine. It's, it's doesn't, doesn't live up to the glory of it, but it was the one that brought these things out first. So, yeah, I do think that they're marketing greatly on nostalgia, but obviously there are many people out there like fireball Island, like dark tower that, Either they had a copy and then it, it lost itself in time or never had a copy and would love to pick it up. So for them, this is fantastic. Now, that being said, it's $100 for the base game and $150 for the base game with the expansions. Now, with the base game, you are going to get some additional stuff. Obviously, you're not looking at cardboard furniture or such. You are looking at regular plastic miniatures and the sculpts are pretty good. Nothing insane in fact hero quest was known for not having like insanely ornate miniatures but good miniatures nonetheless and then obviously all the furniture and stuff but you are getting bonus heroes so you are getting i guess gender swaps so you could play a male barbarian or a female barbarian hmm, that's great because you should have that and again it has a good little crew and you can you know you throw four characters chasing down the monsters and stuff and again i think for anthony and i if this is something for you, go ahead and kick it off. But for us, I think we're going to kick it to the side. Maybe one of us or both of us will have an opportunity down the road to get a chance to actually play this. But I think it's going to be one of those games where, oh, that's nice. But for somebody else, it's going to be something incredibly special. All right, Anthony, next up, we're talking about big games here. So this is probably going to be 
one of the biggest ones, and again, another highly anticipated game that no one knew was coming, but it's here and it's on Kickstarter. This is Dinosaur World and Dinosaur Island Roar and Right. See, see what they did there? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, no, it's the delivery, man. It's not the title. It was all delivery. Aw, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I do a Twitch stream if you want to watch every Wednesday, 8.30 oh, on Board Game Arena. Man, I, I think I might be busy at that time. Oh, damn. So close. We need we need people to watch. So Dinosaur World and Dinosaur Island, Roar and Right, are two standalone games set in the Dinosaur Island universe. Now, if you happen to be the five people out there who have not heard of Dinosaur Island, very quickly... Dinosaur Island is a game that's kind of like a throwback to early Jurassic Park, where you're rolling dice that are representing genetics, that you are then taking those genetic DNA, and then using that formula, these kind of mapped out dinosaurs, to create dinosaurs for your park. And then obviously, since you have dinosaurs in your park, it's going to get kind of dangerous. So you have to kind of up the security, bring in professionals, And every once in a while, a patron gets eaten. Not on Board Gamers Anonymous. We guarantee no eaten patrons. But on Dinosaur Island, that would actually happen. So it was a fun game. It was a weird throwback, 90s kind of aesthetic, really bright neon colors. It had two Kickstarters, the original Big Box, which I passed on, honestly, because it was just too much. And then the second version that came out with their aquatic you know, dinosaurs, totally liquid, right? Very 90s again. I back that, that came along with a lot of other expansions, plus Dulceosaurus, which again is a two-player game of Dinosaur Island that is fantastic. I think nobody talks about this because it got like swallowed up by the giant Kickstarter, but the two-player version is great. Just does not get played enough. So let's fast forward. If you know anything about the Jurassic Park movies, Eventually, the Jurassic Park park itself closed down because clearly that was a bad idea from the start. But of course, Jurassic World came out. So the idea was that these monsters would come back and these corporations, evil, of course, would be doing the wrong thing. So you get to be one of these corporations that are bringing the dinosaurs back and you are taking these people on these tours of these different islands. So everybody will have their own island. And you'll have the central boards in which you'll be able to, again, use the genetic data to be able to craft new dinosaurs, use research boards to be able to put together special abilities, put together different dinosaurs, swap out the DNA, and then add park tiles to the game. Now, you also got to do this in Dinosaur Island, where it wasn't all about putting dinosaurs in pens, but it was also like really kind of cutesy park attractions here it's a lot more of a mature looking board game it doesn't have that 90s neon aesthetic nor does it have that kind of cartoony like look to it is more realistic as if it was a real park there's still some elements to it but nonetheless you're going to be able to put together these different tiles and these tiles will be able to give you special bonuses probably a la suburbia where how things match together will give you bonuses just like dinosaur island there are objective cards and you are going to do something a little different in here instead of your meeples just going out to the different attractions automatically there'll be a 
mechanic in which you'll be able to pick up and deliver your patrons throughout the park. So there's actually a route building mechanic to this based on how you place the tiles together. Of course, there's still dinosaurs. This time, the meeples actually have heat sticker transfers. So it's no longer just a silhouette of a dinosaur. It actually has the sticker piece of the dinosaur I'm at. Whether it's good or bad, I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. But again, if you've never played Dinosaur Island, you should know that Pandasaurus Games does an outrageously good job with their components. So everything here is top-notch, including with this Kickstarter, you will get a metal coin collection that you could use for the game. This is superior. I mean, I just look at these metal coins. I'm like, whoa. Now, that being said... This game is going to come, as I said, in a board game version and a roll and write. So let's just talk about the board game version first. If that's something that you're looking at, just again, for the board game version, you could be able to pick that up for $70. So Anthony, what do you think about the board game version? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, I already have these two giant boxes sitting here and I'm like looking through all this and I can't, don't I can't play for it. Yeah. Well, the tiny box is hidden right here somewhere. Yeah, I just I can't really tell, like, is this different enough to warrant owning? Right. It seems like a 2.0 or a 1.5 more than a 2.0. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I love Dinosaur Island. I obviously backed it. I've got all the content for it that's been out so far and I really enjoy the game. So I'm definitely considering it. It just feels like the kind of game where you're like, well, I'm not going to play this and the original so i really only need to own one i already own all the original stuff why would i buy this and i don't have to back the big game to get the little game which we haven't talked about yet yes i don't know i'm on the fence there i don't think i'm probably gonna back it but i'm excited to play it and hopefully it's different yeah as i mentioned we're looking at tile lane actually being more important than it was in the first game obviously if you picked up the expansion there was some elements of where you place things and that actually mattered The route building here matters because you're going to be taking your Jeep meeples across the board. So depending on how things are placed, those are going to score a little differently. But as you mentioned, outside of that, the game is relatively the same. You're looking at DNA tracks. You're looking at security tracks, threat tracks, money tracks throughout the game. And if you don't own Dinosaur Island, this may be a more streamlined version Because once you get to the expansions, it's just a lot of stuff. So I think I might back this. And just honestly, because when I played the first Dinosaur Island, I was like, nah, I didn't need to back this. And then after playing it a couple of times, it was like, I should have backed this. (laughs) And while I might want to rate to retail, the Kickstarter exclusive of the 54 metal coins might be enough to convince me that the extra kickstarter charge is worth it because basically it's metal coins with dinosaurs you know skeletons on the back so i might just be backing this game for the coins although to be fair dinosaur island has ridiculously overproduced heavy wondrous coins that you could clearly just pull them out to play in this game so anthony obviously that's the base game obviously you can get both games together but let's actually go into the other game which obviously you're going to be a lot more interested in because you are our roll and write or in this case our roar and write dinosaur island roar and write so what we're looking at here my friend is in the tradition of dual source island again underrated game 
uh, they decided that they wanted to bring a roll and write version of that two player game. Now you and I have played that two player game. We both enjoy that two player game. And obviously what we're looking at here is a very similar, as you mentioned, a 1.5 or maybe a 2.0 version of this. But now you are actually drawing up your park and you are checking off all these different boxes in order again to do the same thing. You're picking up different professionals, you're picking up different dinosaurs, you are avoiding threat as much as possible. So it's a roll and write. What do you think? I love me some roll and rights. Yeah, no, I'm interested in this. There aren't a lot of roll and rights that are actually meaty, significant games that take a little bit of time to play. There's actually another dinosaur one called Dino World, which is pretty good and is, again, pretty long. And you draw your park and have all these different things you're doing. And it actually reminds you a little bit of Dinosaur Island thematically. And then there's Fleet, the dice game. And then everything else is kind of just like filler. And I like them, but you could, you know, they take 10, 15 minutes to play. Whereas this one looks to be pretty, I mean, there's a lot going on there. So yeah, it looks good. Yeah, for me, I I think actually, strangely enough, this might be something I pass on for probably the same reasons why you're going to pass on uh, Dinosaur World here is because I already own Dualsaurus and I can't say that I'm a bigger fan or even honestly, this is kind of a hot take. I'm just generally not a fan of the Rollin' Rights. I've played them. I own a couple, but it seems a little more cumbersome and less aesthetically interesting to me so i actually might skip on this one but if you decide that you do want to back the roll and write it's a pretty decent price you're looking at a 30 dollars game obviously there will be stretch goals that'll be unlocked and obviously there are shipping that goes along into the game or you could do something really interesting like maybe anthony and i will do which is back both of these and then split the games up later Ooh, that's smart yeah, we should do that. So for $95, you get both games, all of the stretch goals attached to it, and a cheaper price. So yeah, you should definitely check all of those things out because, again, it has a great pedigree. They know how to make this game. Pick the versions best for you or stick with your original game because it's a pretty damn good game. All right, next up is the 7th Citadel. Explore, build, and by the way, you're the hero. So after the seventh continent, which was a massive Kickstarter game that was out there, and it's been to retail and it's been in backers' hands for quite some time, now you are exploring the world of the collapsing land. So basically, we're looking at something here that's a little different than the norm. It's a post-apocalyptic world, but the post-apocalyptic world version of it is a medieval world. So it's not a futuristic world where everything went down. It's a medieval world where everything went down. And in particular, you're basically kind of, I guess, legally distinct. There's some elements of Dune, right? There's these giant burrowers. I don't know (laughs) what's going on there, but giant worms are transforming the landscape and there's a lot going on. And based on that, and you are a simple person who's been cast out by one of these controlling families and you are trying to make your way and become the hero. So definitely not Dune, but kind of Dune. <laughs> it's kind of Dune. Yeah. Now, Anthony, did you actually back seventh continent at any point? I did. Yeah. The second Kickstarter when they came back around with the expansion. So yeah. 
this is a game that I have, and I have all the expansion stuff jammed into the box. I think I have the original box, and I put all the cards in it, and it's packed full. It weighs like 30 pounds. I don't have most of the cards unwrapped, and I don't think I've gotten much further than the tutorial, because it's, you know, it's a, it's a bit much to get into, and it's kind of difficult, so... It's been on my list to like bring out and just leave on the table for a few weeks for a while. And I just haven't gotten around to it. So, you know, I don't know if time's going to a lot right now, but it seems like a good time to do that with three weeks to consider the next Kickstarter. Although I got to be honest, it's really hard to consider paying like another 80 whatever dollars for uh, more content in this system when I have whatever, like 2000 cards sitting in a box next to me. <laughs> I haven't played yet. So sure. Um, but it's and definitely was, something I'm interested in. Like, obviously, I paid for it before. So I, I think it looks cool. Yeah, right now it's sitting at $1.1 million with 22 days to go. And one of the amazing elements of the game, if you haven't played the Seven Citadel yet, is it is a basically a solo game, although it can be a co-op game. You can play with multiple people in the game, of course. And the idea is that you are building up this grand world with your little miniature so you have a starting point you venture out and then you decide where you go on this square card based on the square card there's going to be information there that's going to tell you exactly uh what happens in that particular encounter so you flip over the next card and you might see a monster or there might be some treasure or some other thing and there's an encounter book so the encounter book will actually give you some story to kind of encounter and play through and try to figure out all the different mysteries of the world. This game is relatively easy to set up as Anthony mentioned, and there is an almost an endless number of possibilities how to put this together. It's a very much choose your own adventure type of situation, but there's no dice rolling in this game. It's all based on, on encounters and your choices that you make and your skill checks and such. And the cards themselves, these little cards, have a lot of different artistic elements that will give you hints and clues about the world and what you'll be facing next. This was something that was attractive to me when it first came out because I was like, wow, this is a wondrous world that I would love to play in. And the idea that you can put out the world and then easily kind of put it back and save the adventure was wonderful because that's always the hardest part of like these big games is when you can't fit it on the table indefinitely. So I was looking at this again, obviously as maybe something to actually play solo. I guess, again, you could get a group together kind of like Gloomhaven esque and play through an adventure. But as Anthony said, it just may be too much of a game for any number of game nights that you could put together. But then again, if you have the time and if there happens to be some global reason why you're not able to get out with friends right now, you should definitely check out this Kickstarter. It does have another 22 days to go at the time of the recording. The 7th Citadel. Check it out. All right. Next up is another 1.5 or 2.0 as far as a board game is concerned. Something that I did not think it was going to come back from the dead, but being that the game and the movie is all about things coming back <laughs> when you think it's over the thing the board game yes the thing if you remember the 1982 movie the thing about this alien creature that inhabits this small research station in the arctic 
and how it messes with the people and how the people fight back and how the aliens able to take on different shapes and forms and infect people. Well, here it is in a board game. Now, there's already been a pretty faithful reproduction of this game already out there that we reviewed. This one seems to be a little bit higher as far as the production situation is concerned. So you're going to have 12 different characters in this game, different monsters. You're going to have standees. Basically, the production is like amped up to the 10th level. And basically, you're going to play out the movie, right? Obviously, one or more of your friends or friendly characters in this game could be infected by this alien and therefore working against you. So as the game goes, there are going to be crippling weather conditions, very true to the movie, that are going to affect the gameplay. Next, as the, the weather increases and becomes worse, and as the alien creature becomes more deadly, the base is going to start falling apart. So part of the game is going to be trying to keep the base going, and obviously you're trying to get a rescue helicopter to get the last of your uninfected people. I know you can't see the air quotes here, but you never know who's not infected. <laughs> the alien is going to take its actions to kind of mess with people in the game. So that's going to be one of those things where the alien threat is going to get bigger and bigger and more dangerous as the game moves on. Basically, your turn of the game is drawing cards, moving, playing your cards, checking out the other characters in the game to make sure that they're not infected and generally just taking important and powerful actions based upon your character. As the game goes on, rooms will become open. You'll be able to have that very tense situation in the movie where you're testing your fellow characters to find out if they're actually part of the monster's crew. And then throughout the game, you're trying to survive. So hopefully the helicopters are able to pick up the last of the survivors. So again, Anthony, we are jumping back yet again, again, and again to nostalgia and to games that we've already had hit the table. What do you think about, what do you feel like about the thing? Um, yeah. You see, the problem is you just keep hitting me with all these things that I'm not actually nostalgic for. So <laughs> I've seen the thing, but I, yes. I think I was in high school at the time. So it's not like uh -huh. I saw it, you know, I mean, I would... I was, this came out when I was, I don't know, not even born yet. So I, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not something that was obviously, you know, top of mind when it was out and, you know, just happened to see like probably an edited version on TV, you know, when I was like 17, sure. didn't really stick with me. Just seemed like an old movie. I know a lot of people are going to yell at their, uh, at their devices for that, but it's just not, you know, something that intrigues me. Now this game does seem interesting. I, I don't know. Anytime you tell me a game's going to play like 48 players, I'm like, well, eh, <laughs> like it's, that's a lot of people. Like it just reminds me of like um dead of winter or something where you're like, just jam all these people around the table and see how it goes. So I don't know how this game is actually going to play, but based on how it's doing on Kickstarter, plenty of people are picking it up and I'm sure at some point I'll get a chance to try it. Yeah. Right now it has over $111,000. It has 21 days to go. As you mentioned, this is all about the movie. I'm a pretty big fan of the movie. It was pure sci-fi horror at its best when it originally came out. I think there was, in fact, a kind of reboot of the movie itself where it was just more blood and guts but less story. 
So I do recommend watching the movie, skipping over the horror parts if that's a thing, but actually the acting roles in it is pretty decent. That being said, this is not something that really just sticks with me, thankfully, because it's an alien virus creature that is trying to kill everybody. So no, it, it's not a thing for me particularly that I'm interested in. I already have the original version that came out, I think like a year or so ago, and it's okay. It's it's nothing beyond the pale. But as you mentioned, Anthony, this is another one of those games that if it had come out originally, and again, obviously the movie here is an inspiration for a lot of these hidden role games, especially a lot of so-called video games that are out there right now that you might know about that are all about, hey, one of our friends is an alien. So that's kind of a problem. So if you haven't checked out or looked into the original material that made all of those games and video games and movies and such what they are today, I recommend checking those out. For the thing, the board game, I'm going to say, you know, kick it to the side. I just think that there are better versions of this out there. And especially if you're going to be backing this game itself, it's a little on the costly side. It's $93. So you got to love it to the nth degree to want to pick up this game. If you do, it's out there right now. All right, Anthony, I think we are finally off the Kickstarter train that, you know, is all about nostalgia. So let's actually get to games that are just games. (laughs) Just games. (laughs) And considering the fact that all of the games that we've just talked about were about horrible monsters destroying everything around them and chasing down our poor heroes, whether it be the undead, giant worms, giant dinosaurs, or alien creatures, let's let's kind of refresh. In fact, let's flourish and talk about the game Flourish that's out there. It is a Kickstarter game that is currently up from Starling Games. They have $95,000 already backed. At the time of this recording, there is a week to go. And this is a, quote-unquote, a delightful game about crafting gardens from the creators of Everdell. So, Anthony, you remember Everdell, right? I do. It's got a big old tree. Everybody walks around. They're like, look at that big old tree. Is that, is that needed in the game? Do you need that to play the game? <laughs> like, no, it actually makes the game harder to play. And they're like, oh, what, what, what's with the big tree then? <laughs> so... Well, clearly, since there was so much talk about the giant tree, their takeaway from Everdell was more trees. So in Flourish, you are playing (laughs) more trees and flowers into your garden. And the game is a rather simple set collection game in which you will be drafting a card and then giving cards to your neighbors And then based upon those cards, each of the cards has symbols on that that represent the different flowers and trees and also scoring opportunities. So you'll flip your cards over, you'll score your points, you'll do it again, you'll score your points. That's pretty much the end of the round. As Everdell, as you mentioned, Anthony, as far as the tree is concerned, is overproduced, so is Flourish. It's an overproduced game that could, I honestly, just be a deck of cards, but they've added really ornate scoring bards and also, you know, cardboard 3D walls where you're just placing the cards on one side or the other. Those did not need to be here for this game. This could have been a simple box deck game with some wondrous artwork here. And again, the artwork is captivating and the idea that you can make up this little tiny garden is great. 
that being said, I'm a man who likes things that are ornate. So let's go to it. So with the base game itself, there's going to be some additional cards. In fact, there's going to be a Friends expansion, which is 15 minute cards that come with the game. And also a Foley's expansion, which is 35 3D Foley's, which are these like little tiny gazebos and different wall elements that you'll be able to put into your garden. Again, these are mostly ornate, although they will offer you scoring opportunities throughout the game. This game's got a pretty nice insert. Everything fits in one spot. And that's pretty much it. So that being said, the game is $39 on Kickstarter, which is a rare situation, but looks like to be a nice little game. So if you are looking for something with all of this wondrous art and a kind nice theme and little cardboard pieces, it might be for you. Is it for you, Anthony? Yeah, it looks like it. I like this. This is pretty. Doesn't look, and correct me if I'm wrong, because often I am about this. It doesn't look particularly mean, right? No. All the plant games are mean. This is great. <laughs> Have you seen nature? Nature's mean. <laughs> I know, but I just want a nice plant game that's relaxing. And you're not just like trying to completely cut everybody else out. Like, sure. Any like, oh, photosynthesis. Oh, it's a pretty game. It's so cutthroat. <laughs> like, okay. Well, you know, this is kind of a quasi Seven Wonders because you can play up to seven players. It is a drafting game. You could say maybe there's some hate drafting if you know what somebody's going for. So you don't give them a card. But that's honestly just part of a drafting game and a set collection game. Right. So, yeah. No, I love the look not- of this. It looks fantastic. And there's no tiny little text on the cards. I know. They just want symbols this time. That's fantastic because... That was the problem with Everdell. And again, I understand there's not there's no way to get around that. But again, it was really hard to read the text, especially on top of a giant tree. So, yeah. But again, artwork here is fantastic. Again, the designers from Everdell, they know their stuff. The box seems to contain everything without being bloated in any particular way. You do get the little mini expansion with the game. It's $39. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is worth backing. You have a week when you hear this to back this game. That's Flourish. Finally, this week, we have one of the games that I've been most anticipating to talk about. My favorite game from last year was from Sinister Fish Games. That game was called Villagers. Now, this year, they've come back with an urban tile lane game from one to five players. It's called Streets. Now, Streets looks very similar to villagers obviously you have similar artwork and definitely similar design obviously the same designer here and also you have a similar i would say box design it's a you know that little small rectangle box where everything is packed to the gills but nonetheless it fits and it's really elegantly designed so what you're looking at in streets is different than villagers because in fact What you are is building up this city, and in particular, building up these interesting streets. So what you'll be doing on your turn, you'll be playing one of three different city tiles onto the board, and each of these tiles represents a different building type. So it could be residential, it could be commercial, it could be fun hipster kind of stuff in the game. And the idea of it is as you put these tiles out there, you own that property. 
So that's how it goes out with your property marker. And it'll let you know if you're adding people to that particular street. So in particular, there's hipsters, tourists, shoppers, and parents. That's who inhabits this world. So it'll tell you what color meeple you add to the tile. And then it'll also tell you the tile what the scoring opportunity is for that. So typically, it'll score based on what's available on that street. So it might be a certain number of meeples. It might be a certain number of buildings or other various combinations. So you place your tile out there, you place your marker out there, and you are building up this street. The street itself can't go any further than five buildings. Once it is five, you have to build a new street. So instead of going east to west, you can go north to south, and you can build in all different ways. But somebody can also block off your street. So if you're building three buildings on that street and they throw something perpendicular, They've just now closed off one of the ends of your street. Once both ends are closed off, a scoring round will take place and you will score each individual tiles. As those tiles happen to have people or meeple, in this case, of those colors, you'll score an additional point for those and then you'll go on to the next round. Where the fun and the action of the game comes into play is that those meeples that are laying down now are kind of bored because the street is completed and there's nothing else to do. So they want to move to other streets. So if you happen to be the player that locked down that street, you will decide where those hipsters, tourists, shoppers, and parents go, but they can only go to the areas that welcome them, right? So the hipsters might want to go to a cool craft brewery. So you're going to take all the meeples and place them over there. So you'll get to decide where they go, again, based upon what's available, allowing another scoring opportunity to build as the game goes on. As the game goes on, you'll be continuing to build these streets. And the game itself is a pretty reasonably quick game. Obviously, the more players you play with the game, the more dynamic it happens to be because you're going to build more and more streets. You're going to be partnering with other players indirectly to be able to score based upon what they build, but be careful that you're not giving them more points than they're giving you. The game itself comes with two expansions. The first expansion in the game will allow asymmetrical game powers. So they call them consultants. So the consultants in this game will give you a special ability, game-breaking ability, think Marco Polo, that are game-breaking, but if everyone has one, it's okay. You don't have to play with that, but it's fun. Next, there is a business expansion. So each of the different buildings that you're going to be placing down are going to have a symbol that represents the type of building that comes into the game. Here, that's a set collection. So if you have the most of any one token, you get 10 additional dollars, and every set of different ones that you have, you'll also score additional points. What's great about this game and what's great about this company is they do a phenomenal production at a very reasonable cost for this game. So if you're interested, and I definitely highly recommend that you should take a look at this, you can get the base game itself for $30, or you can upgrade to the super deluxe version, which is $49. That's gonna come with thicker pieces. It's gonna come with actual pictures on all the meeples, and again, it's a game that really offers multiple gameplays with a large number of players. So, Anthony, what do you think about this game? I already backed this one. This was easy. Whoa, yeah, yeah. Woo! 
Yeah. <laughs> the other five, I don't know. This one, this one, however, I really like. Villagers, like you, I really enjoyed it. I backed that originally, actually, on Kickstarter. So I played that one early on. And just, you know, similar aesthetic, similar packaging, similar production quality, and like a clever new idea. And yeah, I'm 100% on board with that. It looks really cool. Yeah, and honestly, the best money that's out there, it's, it's, it's wood money. So yeah. that's definitely something to take away. So yeah, Villagers is out there. By the time you listen to this broadcast, you will have one more week to go. Do not wait. Check this out. I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. All right, Anthony. So that's everything for a jump back to kicking back the habit for the top five Kickstarters with an asterisk for September 2020. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.